I'm Father Mitch Pacwa, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from all over the world. Tonight, we didn't have to go too far, just over to Atlanta, Georgia. And we will be talking about a very important topic, the dangers that are inherent in the current medical and public policy approaches toward children with gender identity issues and gender dysphoria. That is, they feel uncomfortable in the gender they were born to. With the explosion of the number of teenagers identifying as transgender, it's a very important and timely topic. Now, we want to let you know at the outset that there may be some parts of our conversation that may not be suitable for younger viewers. So just be alert to that, but it's going to be important for us to address. Our guest tonight is a pediatric endocrinologist. He knows in depth what the, quote, transitioning process entails, from puberty blockers to cross-sex hormones and surgeries. We'll discuss what's behind the push for these treatments and how best to help those suffering from gender identity issues and gender dysphoria, as well as the church's teaching on what is the morality here. So please welcome the immediate past president of the American College of Pediatricians, Dr. Quentin Van Meter. Dr. Van Meter, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a delight, delight. We had met over in the Republic of Texas a few months ago in which you gave a talk to a very distinguished group of politicians and other and ministers of the gospel. And uh, I was very impressed with what you had said in our conversation. So I'm glad that you could join us here for uh, presenting this to our audience. What, uh, first of all, what's some of your background? You're a medical doctor and you focus on endocrinology. So I started out as a pediatrician okay. uh, out of uh, medical school, chose that particular subspecial or specialty. Uh, and I was always in love with endocrinology because it just made sense to me in terms of how I learn. Mm -hmm. I'm not a good memorizer, and so uh, there's balances of hormones and actions of hormones, too much, too little, and it's very easy to get a simple unifying concept and apply it to a number of hormone systems in the body. Okay. So it worked, and, I, and you know, I've always loved children, taking care of children, yeah. and I just look at endocrinology as an extension of my general pediatric practice. In, sure. in my heart, I'm a pediatrician. And you and your wife have a few children of your own? We do. We have four adult children and uh, five grandsons and a fifth, excuse me, a sixth grandchild who's the first girl and she'll be born in September. So uh, she is going to be smothered with, uh, with a lot of love. Yeah, that's good, that's great. Now, this issue of you know, uh, gender dysphoria, people dealing with gender identity problems, when did you see that start to come up? When, I don't remember anything about that when I was growing up. Where does this come from? 
Well, you and I are sort of this, about the same vintage, and I grew yeah. up through my childhood not having any clue that this was on the face of the earth. Right. Uh, it, it lurked in adults primarily, a very tiny percentage, maybe six out of 100,000 adult men and three out of 100,000 adult women. Uh, clearly the ratio, many more men who were suffering from this. Mm -hmm. uh, so you didn't really know children that were having these issues because they didn't present. They just weren't there. Um, in my fellowship at Johns Hopkins, the professor John Money was the person who coined the term gender identity. And he took a, a word from linguistic term, gender, which had to do with nouns, male, feminine or masculine, and he applied it to the internal sex self. That's what he, he invented this concept, that there was a gender identity. And it could be made different, or it was different than the biologic sex. Mm -hmm. uh, it seemed a little strange, but he was the professor. I was a, a fellow in training. And so we did a lot of listening. We did take care of his adult patients. He had about a dozen adult patients that he worked with. But primarily he worked with infants and children who had disorders of differentiation of their, of their genital structures that made it difficult to recognize right at birth whether or not they were born a boy or a girl. And that fascinated him. And he wanted to see about the psychological aspects of those children. What did they go through? How did they view themselves? So he had a large stable of patients that came to Johns Hopkins from referral centers around the country. And he worked with the families. And he thought he could sort of play God. He decided that if this baby didn't really look very much like a male, even though he biologically was a male, perhaps it'd be best to raise that child as a female. And he experimented open-ended with his theories. He used to say, I have a theory. Let's try it on for size and see what happens. Is, whoa, whoa. I mean, isn't there an ethical issue about doing experiments on children who are themselves not legally or psychologically or intellectually capable of agreeing to be experimented with. It, it's a serious ethical issue. This, this was long after the Geneva Convention was you know, had medical right, rights of the patients and the safety of the of the who, those who could not consent to not have these kinds of things done to them. But money just breezed through that as if it wasn't important. <clears throat> he figured he knew the answer and he was going to see how, if he could get there. And so very soon after that, um, the, all of his experiments on these infants and toddlers fell apart. Uh, one with a tragic case of a suicide of uh, two twin boys, uh, one of whom was changed into a girl and did not live successfully as a girl. Uh, and so the Johns Hopkins saw through all of this, the, the senior faculty, and closed down both the adult program and then and the children's program as well. So that, that lay beneath the surface uh, all the way through the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't know anything about uh, gender incongruence uh, in children. Uh, I, after I graduated, I saw one patient in my private practice who was a boy from a family that came from California, and he was 13, and his psychiatrist had told the family, he is actually a, a girl, so you need to give him a new name. You're moving from California to Georgia. Great opportunity. Change him into the girl that he believes he is. I didn't find any advice from any of my mentors. I called around and said, what, what am I to do? Is there a protocol? I mean, this is just so rare. I was up in, uh, in a, I didn't know what to do. So we designed sort of a protocol to try to put this boy on some estrogen. And the family quickly moved out of the area. Dad was in the military, and he was transferred. 
So I never really got to see anything beyond starting this child on, on estrogen. And it was not a comfort zone. I, had, I, I did a, a very complex uh, consent form that sort of protected our medical practice legally from any repercussions. But it was just the strangest thing. And I, and I, was, I had nobody to, talk, to, to tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. So that was 1993. Now, so, so we're talking the first of this uh, appearing would be in the late 70s? Late 70s. And then you see one, your first patient yourself in 93. Correct. And how is, why is it so much in the news? What, how has this developed well, as an issue? In Europe, some adult uh, psychologists uh, were, look, were working with the adult patients. And the adult patients complained that their adult lives were really difficult because they couldn't look like the sex they wanted to be because they had gone through natural puberty and their bodies had changed. So the people that thought they were wanting to be women looked like men physically. They had you know, broad shoulders, beard, and they said, this is, the, my voice box is too big, I can't pass off as a woman. Uh, so how about if we block puberty before that ever happens? And, f and the children that are sort of presenting in the Netherlands, so a protocol was developed, and it's referred to as the Dutch Protocol. Mm -hmm. And they started a, a group of children from in about two, the year 2000 uh, and developed a treatment protocol that worked very heavily with the emotional undercurrent emotional issues because they did recognize that this is a state of mind, that this is a, something that comes from very deep trauma. And they screened out all the children and took care of their mental health issues, they thought, and the ones that were left over who desired to impersonate the opposite sex were put into uh, another experimental uh, situation. They signed consent forms by this time. And they were, uh, their, their puberty was blocked. They were given cross-sex hormones and then they were handed on to surgeons at the, when they could give you know, consent, legal consent in the countries in which they lived. So, so or bef before these children were old enough to give legal consent, they were still given the uh, puberty blockers? Correct. And uh, cross-sexual hormones? They were. And how, is, how is that legal or ethical? Well, they carefully designed their uh, consent forms so that the parents basically were, were the, those that consented. Uh, the children would, it's called assenting. Instead of consenting, they assent to the, to the concept. <clears throat> they, they indicated that they had spent a lot of time with these kids and both the parents had to be consenting with no coercion. They both had to be very, very supportive of this process in order for the protocol to move forward. So that, that group has been studied and they, they, we just, I'll come back to that a little bit later on. Um, that was the basis on which the U United States transgender clinics put together their protocols and uh, a very prestigious organization, the, uh, the Endocrine Society, uh, took the protocol that was developed by the Dutch folks and applied it to a, a, what they called a, a, a guide medical guidelines for the treatment of transgendered individuals. And those were published first in 2009, and that was about a year or two after the very first transgender clinic opened up in Boston. Dr. Norman Spack, a pediatric endocrinologist, was salivating, they said, over excitement about bringing this protocol to the United States. 
So he started the first clinic and then literally like mushrooms growing overnight, clinics spouted up to the point where there are over 70 uh, transgender centers, most of them university based. And they have, the, they use this supposed protocol. Uh, but they don't really use the protocol. They jump in with both feet pretty much immediately. They're puberty blocking well before the Dutch did. They are giving cross-sex hormones well before the Dutch uh, protocol said. And so suddenly this caught on like a social contagion. And it, you know, things were going on in that, in that time where kids were uh, experiencing a lot of depression and anxiety, just the general population. The, the children were, were experiencing these things. And they were, they and, were. And just so folks understand, this is something that goes up and down. For instance, in the period after COVID and during COVID, we saw a lot of more depression among children and anxiety because they weren't in school, they weren't around their peers, and they didn't have a structured day. And so th there just was a lot more anxiety. So these can, you know, different things in the culture can go up and down to have a larger number of people affected by things like depression. The, the advent of the internet and access to the internet by children pretty much unbridled uh, allowed these kids to see um, information that in our childhood we, we heard somebody talked about it far, far away, but no one knew really what it was. It was it's like pornography, it you know, took the root on the internet and just spread like wildfire. Mm -hmm. So you have a population of, of children who are seeing that you know they're not happy. Uh, they, they, they don't like puberty, it makes their body change. Mm -hmm. And I often say, said, uh, puberty was a, was a tough time for everybody I know, okay, all four of my children, certainly for me, for the people that I've come to know and love. Um, everybody hated their body. You had pimples, you had, your teeth were too big, too small, you're, you're, you were going through puberty and things changed that you didn't like and didn't understand. Uh, but family was there. Family was there in my childhood. And in, up until probably the 70s, the, the schools did not touch those issues. The schools began coming along and teaching the kids what they needed to know about their self-image. Mm -hmm. And that included, you know, being what is your authentic self. Well, that, that lights a fire and lays the, the kindling for a blaze to happen. That's exactly what happened. We went from uh, men, adult men being twice as uh, common in, in, in being trans adults as women, it flipped over to uh, almost three to one uh, females to males. So men were dominant in this back in the, the 70s? In the 70s. And today women are, three, it was like two to one for men more than women back then. Correct. Now it's three to one women are experiencing this dysphoria. And, and, and some statistics show it's almost five to women, five to one now with adolescent girls. And the, and the, the shift was that in the most recent times, this presented from nowhere in adolescent girls. Mm -hmm. They had never in their childhood expressed anything to their parents. They lived happy, functional lives, <laughs> supposedly, in, the, in the, the biologic sex that they were. Uh, but this becomes, you know, a disease state to be a, a female. For whatever reason, they want to get out of their body. They want to avoid being a woman. Uh, they want to be a man. There's something that happens that makes them focus on that. And it, it, it's hard to get to that because the responses are so programmed and so uniform when you talk to these kids. Uh, they threaten suicide and they say, yeah, I'm, I am going to kill myself unless 
you let me do this. Where do they get that idea? Well, it's, they're told to say that. They're told that if, if they want to get through this process and get their hormones quickly, they want to have their breasts cut off, you be sure the first thing you say is, I am going to kill myself. And this is something that I notice throughout our culture, that there are a lot of people who are using fear to manipulate others. They try to instill a fear in other people for a variety of reasons because that makes them more manipulatable. Surely. And th this is going on with these kids. I, I, I wasn't aware of that. And I know the CDC recently came out saying that depression among teenage girls is much higher than, than it had ever been before. So th this, and using this fear to, because the last thing any parent wants is to lose a child. Absolutely. That, that there's just not a big heartbreak for a parent. They would almost sell their soul to keep their child alive. Yes. It's that instinct. And so when they manipulate that fear in a parent, they get what they want. So at the outset, um, the, the people who wrote these treatment guidelines, they, re, they refer to them uh, nationally as standards of care, but they are not a standard of care. They're, they're an idea put together by a bunch of ideologues who are not using science. There's no scientific basis that said this is either safe or effective. I mean, there is absolutely none. They make studies out of thin air and publish them, and then they restate them, and they requote them, and they requote them. So the lie is told over and over and over again. And the, you know, the standard person on the street says, "I don't want to be a, a terrible person who is a hater or a thought of as a bigot." Right. You know, right. you got me. And so that's Good. that. That basically pounds that fear again into those who are observing, thinking, "Well, this must be true because I heard it on the news." My pediatrician told me that his organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics, is, supports this mm -hmm. uh, and that we should just go along with it. And the pediatricians who are so busy and down in the weeds with their patients, they say, okay, from above comes this, this uh, edict that this is how you will treat these patients. And before you know it, um, they're, they're recommending that they go to these clinics. And here's one of the problems. Uh, there's a little bit of information from the Institu National Institutes of Health, who said that gender dysphoria in adolescents, uh, current perspectives, from March of 2018. They wrote, for 80% of children who meet the criteria for gender dysphoria in childhood, the gender dysphoria recedes with puberty. Correct. That if you let them just go through puberty, <clears throat> They'll, it just, uh, that, that recedes from the, the vast majority of them. They, get, they are bathed in their natural hormones. Their bodies are designed for the hormones of their biologic sex. Right. So when those hormones come along, there are changes. It's kind of an earthquake, but things settle, and the, the, the vast majority, puberty becomes the cure for these kids with, with children with gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. and, and so why are we taking away the cure and replacing it with something that we know is medically horrible in terms of what it does to the body. It sterilizes the body. It gives disease states that we fight tooth and nail in other patients to avoid happening. So there's, there's so, all... So going through these, uh, you know, puberty blockers and cross-sex 
uh, hormones, that causes uh, physical problems? Absolutely, it, it, it causes disease state. The overall lifespan of trans adults is 50% of that of the general population. So the, the average life expectancy is about 80? Yeah, and they're, 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 their life expectancy is about 40. You know, this is uh, something that, that, that it's, uh, it's horrendous. It's, it's sinister. And, and that's, well, that's, that's one of the things it seems. And I know also that the suicide rate among transgender people is 20 times higher than the, the average citizen. citizen. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is, uh, again, um, this is, plus, just one other factor in this. Uh, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, but from everything I've read about it, it this is a process that sterilizes the person who goes to it. So they cannot sire or conceive a child after they have these surgeries. Is that correct? It, actually, some of the medical procedures themselves, the cross-sex hormones, if the, if the ovary or the testicle is not mature because puberty is blocked, it never gets to the point where it begins to produce the, the expected gametes that will come together and, and procreate. Um, and so it doesn't happen at that level. And then on top of that, you add very toxic levels of the, of the opposite sex hormones which basically polishes off the, that, that uh, ovary or testicle. And then the piece de resistance, of course, is removing it entirely. Yes. So, you know, you, these, these kids, and they are, they're running, they're pulling, they're just whipping the, their parents around like a, a dog by the tail. Uh, and, and they are saying things like, oh, I'm saving the world because I don't need to have children. I never wanted to have children. And so I'm saving the planet because I will, you know, keep the population down. Or I will adopt. And everyone, oh, what a savant this child is. You know, it's, and it's, it's like, you have no concept, child, of what it is to be sexually active in a, in a marriage and f have f with fidelity and raise a family and raise your children and watch them you know, start a family and then grandchildren following. You will never have that. You don't know what it's like. You can't imagine what it's like. Nobody really knows until you're in the middle of yeah. those wonderful life events. And they're, they're just tossing them out saying, oh, I didn't want that anyway. And they have no idea. They can't consent to that because they have never, in, this, in these states of, of surgical stuff, they will not achieve orgasm. They will not have any sexual activity that, that works at all. Their phys body physiologic uh, mechanisms are completely taken out. So there's no, there's no intercourse within it. There's no marriage. I mean, it's just, it's shot. It's, it's, it's gone. And because of these physical changes and what happens in terms of dying, uh, living out half of the normal life expectancy, a number of countries are now banning these procedures, are they not? Yes. In Europe, where it started, right. these procedures are now 
forbidden, they're no longer allowed. They're, they're very limited when they do allow them. In Sweden, that has to be done within, within a design of a research protocol, mm -hmm. which essentially means it's likely not going to happen at all. Yeah, well, and I'm thinking about for minors in particular. Well, these are all we're talking about minors okay. in these cases. Okay, all right. So, so the, um, U the UK, Sweden, Denmark, France have Finland. all have put the brakes on. And these were countries that were very, very pro this process. What happened is that they looked at the data. They finally found the data that was out there long enough to realize there was no improvement in mental health and there were cases where it was actually worsened. Yeah. And if you're, if you're beating up somebody and, with fear that they are, you're gonna, this child is going to lose their life unless you do this, you find out, you know, that's just one gigantic lie that we're having to swallow. And we should just, we should just tell the truth. This all needs to be unwrapped. We need to know what's happening in all the gender clinics across the country. They are all not transparent. They're very closed-lipped about what they do. Except, you know, one doctor it, did let it slip. Boy, this is... This is a moneymaker. Yeah, that was that, one thing at Vanderbilt, and then at WashU St. Louis, one of the transgender centers. And it's a WashU is a phenomenal medical school, but yes. they're in the business of this, okay? And uh, one of their people in the clinic that was working, as, and I don't know the capacity if it was social worker or counselor or whatever, uh, blew the lid off of it and said, uh, "Things are happening in this clinic that should not happen." And so she has been castigated and sort of sent packing. But we, the tent has got some tears in it now, and we can kind of peek in and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And state legislatures are, you know, state by state, you know, protecting these children from ever starting this pathway. You know, if you think that just the counseling alone solves the problem, because it is a basis. It's based on emotional trauma. And if you gloss over a volcano with a Band-Aid and say, see how pretty it looks, we fixed it, that, that volcano is going to erupt someday. Yeah. So you yeah. Have, the, the right thing to do is to spend an inordinate amount of time digging deep into the family history. And it's painful. The families many times are the cause of the, of the issues, and you're asking them to cooperate and reveal what they might have done adverse to, uh, to their child growing up. There, there's also a high rate of sexual abuse yes. of the children who seek this out. Is that not? There's an estimate of about 60%. Again, you, the data is so hard to find because it is not, it's not published. Uh, it's kept secret. And this... those issues aren't even addressed. And, and the, the counseling in, the, in these clinics is basically counseling the parents to accept what their child wants. That's the Which counseling. means that there's an agenda by the clinic. Yes. That I don't have much trust in. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has recently come up with a doctrinal note about the moral limits to technological manipulation of the human body. Came out in March 20th, 2023. That's just yep. recent. Uh, and it, let me give a quote from there, if okay, I may. Sure. It says, quote, the body is not an object, a mere tool at the disposal of the soul, one that each person may dispose of according to his or her own will. But it is a constitutive part of the human subject, a gift to be received, respected, and cared for as something intrinsic to the person. Catholic healthcare services must not perform interventions 
whether surgical or chemical, that aim to transform the sexual characteristics of a human body into those of the opposite sex, or take part in the development of such procedures. Now, what the bishops are saying here is something extremely important. While the rest of the culture is cheering this on, if you disagree with it, you are transphobic and all these other things. And meanwhile, people are dying. People are covering up the sexual abuse of the children seeking this. If that information is there and they don't publish it, it sounds to me like a cover-up. It's hard to see it any other way when you know the background of these kids. You know, I have been called transphobic because I do not, I will not give uh, puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. I cherish these kids. They come into my office and, and they are in such agony. And, and they, I don't think they're acting. I, some of it might be a little bit embellished. But these kids are hurting so badly. Yes. And, and that's a reality. You know, that, there, there it is. And so I, I, I look at my patients and I tell them that I am their advocate. My whole spirit and soul in practice of medicine is to do no harm. And, and to, that's and to in heal. the Hippocratic yeah. oath. And to heal. And so, you know, that balance of balance. You, you know, you could certainly try to heal, but you can knock off your patients in the process with willy-nilly unproven you know, therapies. So the idea is that I want them to be well, and I know the way to get them there. It is a painful way, but they will come out whole on the other end, and the kids that have been allowed that to have happened are well-adjusted. They, they have much happier adult lives. A psychologist in Toronto, Canada, Dr. Kenneth Zucker, did this with young children all the way up through adolescence in the 1980s, from 1980 to 2013. And his clinic was shut down by the, the Canadian government. Because he was doing the he, sex... He, he would not go along with the statistics that said that these kids were, you know, 40% of them are going to kill themselves unless you let them do this. He said, no, that's, that's not it. And he published his data, and it got pounded. And he actually was the, the, the uh, sort of the organizers of the, of the uh, transgender movement uh, made sure that he lost his job. They were instrumental in, in shutting down his clinic. And so he actually sued the Canadian government and won. Uh -huh. Which is a kind of a big deal in Canada. Yeah, you know? sure, sure. So, uh, and he is—he is a good soul. Um, he knows what you know what what he believes and what he's seen. He used to be the go-to guy in, in gender issues in children, mm -hmm. uh, and he, now you can hardly find him anywhere. In terms of the the guidelines that are written, he might be referenced in a, in a maybe 900 reference document. He's mentioned six or seven times, mm -hmm. whereas before. He would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of references because he wrote the book on, on all of this. But he has been brushed aside uh, and you know, as a heretic. And I, throughout the, the development of the news about this issue, especially with sterilization being part of the process and and now, I, and I did not know that life expectancy is cut in half. I didn't know that. That, that, is a, that was published by the folks who were doing this. 
they think they wanted to sort of say that it had to do with suicide, but they had no, they didn't actually bring it up in the article because it's not true. Yeah, it's not about suicide, though there is 20 times more suicide right. in that population of transgender people. Now, you know, it sounds like a, I mean, that, that's quite a ratio, if you think of that. But that study was comparing the, the tiny fraction of adults in Sweden at the time uh, who were adults with transgenderism who had been treated with medicine and surgery, both, compared to the whole population of Sweden. And that's, that's, that's been criticized because what they really should have done is to, uh, you know, found the, the, the folks that went through counseling and resolved their issues yeah. and said, what's their suicide rate? It, that, that criticism, is, it, we can't really do a scientific study. It's not ethical. You can't start from here and say, oh, um, half of you are going to go in the arm where it's potentially pretty sure you're going to be sterilized and half of you will be in this arm over here where that won't happen. Mm -hmm. you, you would have nobody going over to this research arm mm -hmm. because you know, I don't want to be sterilized. I don't want to have no sexual function. Um, oops. So, I mean, those studies will, and ethically, no, no institutional review board, which is the governing body ex external and unrelated financially uh, and, and institutionally to the, the, the group that's doing the study, they would not approve a consent form. And see, this issue of sterilization had gone on in this country with uh, especially African-Americans, a number of African-Americans who had been in the prison system, and, uh, and other folks who had mental disabilities, and they were, they were sterilized without full consent from the 30s to the 60s, sure. as I recall. That was actually Mar Margaret Sanger's whole approach to that, was to, to sterilize. And, you know, that we are going back to that. <laughs> you know, uh, when the, the, there were great law, the number of lawsuits, and the immorality of that for people who cannot make full consent even though they were physically adults, they oftentimes had uh, mental disabilities that they couldn't consent, and it was done to them anyway. And now we see it here with children. This is something that, down the line, the folks who are promoting this will be called to task for having participated. Now, we have to take a little break. We're going to come back in a, a couple of minutes with any of your questions and comments and uh, further this conversation, so please stay with us. Speaking with Dr. Quentin von Mader, uh, who is the immediate past president of the American College of Pediatricians, and we're dealing with some of the issues of transgender and transsexual changes. Uh, you ready for some questions? I sure am. Let's start off with Joseph in uh, the state of Texas. Joseph, what can we do for you tonight? Well, thank you very much for taking my call. Sure. I have a, a, evidently a 
a point of, in light of the recent COVID outbreak in this country, and everybody in the government, everybody says, follow the science. Mm -hmm. This gender dysphoria, and in fact, my granddaughter has, has become a grandson. I wonder how do we now, as a government and the American Medical Association now say, oh, it's a fi fine to have children and everybody have this done and transition blockers, et cetera. Yet studies out of Sweden, England, and other European countries have said, no, 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 this is no good. We've had it for a lot longer and we're not gonna do it for anybody under 18. And that's my question. So, so, um... You know, I guess, Joseph, given that, uh, you know, are people following the science? I think that's the way I put it. Yeah. Are they following the science by, after this has been rejected in Europe where it started because they have more experience with it, now they reject it. Uh, where is that following the science going to take us? Um, following the science from the very beginning showed that uh, that there was no benefit to this and that the natural process, if you have a disease and the cure rate is 80 to 90%, we jump up and down with joy. We talk to the families about the success and the good life thereafter. Uh, and that's what just counseling does. The, the suicide rate does not change throughout the whole process of this in, in the children that go through this. The, the rate is no different than any uh, depressed or anxious children. Children with autism, uh, you know, the, 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 it's about 21% of attempted suicide in this group across, and this comes from a very uh, liberal think tank at UCLA, the Williams Institute, which is a very LGBT advocate group. Um, and they, they said, no, the suicide rate is not what they're advertising. So they, they publish pseudoscience, as is it were science. Uh, and then they just keep repeating that and do a, a study similar. They, they pick handpicked data out of a big giant survey, which was uh, voluntarily, uh, you know, the, the patients themselves volunteered to, to take part in the survey. It is not a representative sample of, mm -hmm. of the broad population. The, the patients that are suffering most don't answer surveys. They, they just are living quietly and miserably and looking at what they've done. And the detransitioners are coming out of the woodwork now. They're, mm -hmm. they're speaking up. They were threatened. Their lives were threatened, uh, which is, you know, I mean, people a sad who thing. Are, are wanting to go back from back. having lived the, 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 you know, physically and medically and surgically as the opposite sex. You know, they refer to it as sex change operations. You're not changing sex at all. You just, you just add on or take off parts of a, healthy parts of a body to make it look like a costume piece. And that's really all it is, is a costume. Well, one of the points I've oftentimes made is no matter what surgery you get or what hormones you take, every cell in your body has the same DNA as at the point of your conception. Correct. That y you are XY or double X, with a few right. ex exceptions here, there, triple X and so on, but, uh, but you, you are the same chromosomal relationship of the X and Y chromosomes as you were before you were born. Correct. So you cannot change your sex. Your, your, your sex, you cannot change your chromosomes. No. And your body was meant to have the endocrinology of the gender you were born in.
and conceived yeah. it. Again, this is at the moment of conception. So to answer the gentleman's question about why would the government or why would the American Medical Association or the American Academy of Pediatrics or the Endocrine Society or the American Psychological Association, why would they, would they say it's, this is the right thing to do if it's not the right thing to do? And that's where the, the ideology comes in. This is all ideology driven. It is not science driven. And when you peel back the layers and you peel back the layers, you have to have an audience that will listen, first of all. And that's an interesting prospect because a number of times I have, I have been disinvited as a speaker because I'm on my side of the issue. It's very hard to publish things because the publishers and the editors are very, very in the woke uh, side of the world, and they 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 want to publish what looks you know most current and sure. compassionate. So th it's very difficult. We can get letters to the editor. Uh, we are not in the business of doing unethical scientific experiments, so we're not going to do that. We're not going to have data that, that that's based on a control population because it's not ethical to do that. Right. It's not ethical to sterilize people as part of a an endpoint. You know, it's just yeah. it's just it's off the map. So it's, uh, it, we're kind of in a little bit in a corner, but that's why the, and then the current administration is regulating these things and pushing them down. And there's, there is large pushback from population. We are, we are flooding their, uh, their offices with uh, you know, notices that th these are not appropriate, so that when it comes to court, uh, there is clearly not a consensus. We, we have shown that there is no consensus on this whatsoever, and it will be a very strong basis on which to build legal cases to take to task those who did all this harm all the way along. And just last week, I criticized President Biden. You know, he's got his various political agendas, and that's something that voters have to deal with. But when he says that it's almost a sin to not allow transgender, I said, Mr. President, you cannot veto or give executive order to God <laughs> on what sin is or is not. That's not your, your purview. It's a great way to put it that God is the one who makes human bodies, male and female, and there are, the, the church has clear teaching on what is you know, valid and what isn't, what's legitimate, what isn't. And you can't create a sin by an executive order. That's not, for, that's not allowed. We have another caller, Joseph uh, in Buffalo, New York, you there? Yes, I'm here, Father. Can you hear me? You're just fine. Go ahead. What's your question? Perfect. Uh, Father, question for you. Is there a correlation between transgenderism and anything in regards to diabolic possession or obsession? What do our exorcists have to say? Question for the doctor. Um, when a child threatens suicide, how can a parent distinguish between that being a real threat or not a real threat? And what can parents do if... They don't support transgenderism, but they have family members who are willing to provide the child with treatment behind their back because they think that the child needs it for transgenderism. You, you explain a dilemma that we face every time. Uh, the point is if it, somebody is suicidal, you get them the mental health help they need to be able to resolve the issues that drive them to that particular uh, 
contemplating that kind of activity. And so if you uh, send your child to a counselor that's part of a transgender clinic, that's a runway with no, no assessment of anything other than this is the right thing to do, this will cure you, you will be happy. So I, I specifically find independent counselors and I talk to them personally and say, what, what would you do with a patient who is contemplating suicide, an adolescent who is threatening, uh, and the parents believe that that's the case? And, and I, I personally could be convinced that the child is really thinking that seriously. Um, they're going to go down in the basement and into the weeds if they're the bright person and they're going to unpack everything. And that resolves this in the vast majority of cases. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the, the suicide ideation is, is gone because it, there's no reason for them to take their life. They have a reason to live as a result of, the, of untangling all the things that have been subterranean all these years. And so, you know, yes, I, I take every suicide threat very seriously. And I say, I'm going to find you a counselor that does counseling in a very uniform, acceptable way that has nothing to do with politics or ideology. We're going to find you an independent person who will give you the help that you're, that you're needing. They won't just throw medicine at you. Uh, they're going to go solve the problem. And, and you, you need to find counselors like that. I also think that uh, along, I'll get to your other question, Joseph, in a second, but I think it's also important that we not buy into a theory that if society would just accept this as a legitimate choice to become transgender, if they would just accept it, then nobody would commit suicide. That they, if they're accepted in this, then they'll be, they'll be happy because we're accepting and happy. I don't think that that's the case, that there is something else going on that's bothering them that has to be addressed. If you look at the suicide data, just freestanding suicides, not related to any specific under, undercurrent diagnosis, um, it is clear that 95 to 98 percent of these kids have, are deeply troubled Mm -hmm. In general, just they are emotional train wrecks, um, and and that that is common to all. It's not a specific diagnosis, so the the suicide is not unique as a as a as to this problem. Suicide right. is what it is. It is tragic, uh, but it it happens in, in. No one is a happy child who all of a sudden had a really bad day at school and takes their life. It's just yeah. that just that's not how it works. It is it is years and years and years of agony, you know, boiling inside. And the only solution to stop the pain in their mind is to take their life. Yeah. So. And the in uh, a variety of reasons too. some of them say, well, I'll show them that when I when I'm gone, then they'll miss me. Yeah. I, there's that approach and others. I, I can't cope. I just got to kill myself. I mean, there, there's a sure. variety of approaches to it, but whatever is in the thinking of that young person or older person, you have to unpack why do you think that your death is going to be a solution? It'll change from one set of problems in this life to another set of problems in the next. Work out the problems you've got now and don't take a risk with your eternal life. That would be a serious, serious mistake. Sure. 
And it's worth working through issues. Everybody's got some issues. Some are more serious. That's for, there's no doubt. And I think the unstable family life that we have now, not only divorce being high, but also the very high rate of unmarried parents, most typically one or even both are no longer there with the child. That is a fairly basic experience of rejection. That is part of it. If they're being abused by somebody, whether peers or sex traffickers, I just saw today that Facebook is the number one, like 60% of child sex trafficking is coming through Facebook. You know, and are parents monitoring this? The disturbing uh, results of pornography People are comparing themselves to these actors and other people in porn, a lot of which is fake stuff to begin with. And you comp- I can't measure up, and so it's hopeless for me. Rejection by peers, bullying by peers, all kinds, of, you have to work through it. And that's, that's one of the things. And as far as the issue that you asked me uh, regarding the demonic, that is never my go-to uh, issue. Uh, you know, you don't start with demonic influence. The church requires us to always go to the natural explanations. Is there some physical disorder? Is there a psychological issue? Always go to that. That is the vast majority. And demonic influence can be there. I don't exclude it by any means. But you must exhaust the natural explanations before you can go to the supernatural. And I think most of the time the church is really wise in following that through with psychologists and medical doctors. I have another caller. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Father. You're up in Canada. Welcome. I'm in Canada. I'm in Pakenham. <laughs> great, great. What can we do for you today? Okay, I, I transitioned uh, twice. I did, did two eight-year periods transitioning to become a woman. I'm uh, 66 now. Uh-huh. I never... Uh, I, I, between the transitions, I became quite religious, and I, uh, in my, I had a lot of battles with Satan. And uh, and I knew I had always had the inclination in my life. I always knew that this was being stirred up something otherworldly. Okay. And uh, so uh, when I went to do my second transition, I I tried to make it pure and clean. I I knew everything that Satan was doing to make it. Um. To make it a desperation for me sure. to have this operation. Sure. But at the same time, there, there was this internal battle going on. I knew what, that God did not want me to do it. Mm-hmm. I was aware that he didn't want me to do it. And so uh, I, ma- I managed to, to, to stop. I was on the doorstep. I was okayed for surgery. Uh, all I had to do was fill out a form and I would have been in line. And I couldn't do it. And 
thing that came out of this was that I, I came, I, I battled, and I kept battling, and I finally got stopped. And it was when I, I knew that God was helping me to, to, to stop. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, 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 half of me wanted to stop, half of me wanted to go, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and so yeah. finally I got to the point where I could fight it. And I, I got so determined in my mind to stop that God came in and rescued me. Mm-hmm. And, and the air just cleared. Yeah. And Satan was gone. And, and I realized, oh, my goodness, you know, this was all Satan. You know, people think about the, this is a pandemic. This was, there was, uh, you know, in the 90s when I first transitioned, you know, this was a complete shock to people. Uh, you know, this, this was not going on. And now we've got a pandemic. And a lot of it is created by television. Um, a lot, most, I would say, you know, uh, I mean, the, the percentage of pe- people that are actually true transsexuals, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, it's, it's almost zero. Yeah. Uh, the rest are, are, are created. Their, their personalities and characters are manipulated by Satan. And uh, he does it in such a, a, a it, it's like he offers these sweet treats to follow this course. It's, you know, I have to jump in because we're just about out of time. Uh, but, you know, I've also counseled folks who started this process and they said to me, you know, they were counseled with me and we, I helped them work through these kind of issues. And they said, I realized in talking through the problems I had that if I had followed this through, I'd be dead. They knew that. And they didn't want to die. And they they came back. I I can't thank you enough because you brought us, you know, a lot of information that we're not getting in the other sources. Thank you for that. And I know that we have a lot of problems. You mentioned freedom of speech and freedom of scientific inquiry is out the window for ideologues. But you've continued on. Thank you for doing that, and thank you for being with my audience. I'm honored to be here. It's great to have you. And I want to give all of you a blessing. May Almighty God bless you give you peace and your true self that God made. May he guide you by his peace and direct you in all your ways. Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we can bring Dr. Van Mader and all the other guests only because the network is brought to you by you. So we ask for your continued support so we can keep bringing these important issues to you. God bless you and thank you all.